All right. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to this week's edition of the Weekly Wrap. I'm a news editor at Bank Innovation, Rick Morgan, and I'm joined by my colleague, Bianca Chan, also a news editor at Bank Innovation. I'm here to talk about the week's biggest events. Um, this will also be posted as a podcast on our FinTech Unfiltered brand. Um, first, before we get started, I want to give a big thanks to our sponsors, Mambu Info Group and Q2 eBanking. Um, and yeah, let's launch into the, the biggest stories of the week. Uh, Bianca, I know you did a story about banks and how they are being ranked on their crisis CX. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was super interesting. So we looked at this report uh, by Verant, which surveyed nearly like 4,000 consumers across the U.S. just to see how their banks' customer service stacked up during the pandemic. I mean, we, we reported on stories, but we saw banks make radical changes to their existing processes. And when COVID hit, like moving their call centers and seeing like chatbot volume spike and the branch closures. And so um, it was interesting that some banks actually improved their customer experience during all this market disruption. Um, Citibank and Bank of America are two that improved their standings. And we looked into a few uh, pivots and tools that helped their city invested in these how-to videos to help alleviate the uh, call center volume, while uh, Bank of America also made some heavy investments in moving their like 14,000 member call center to uh, work from home, which involved uh, surveying the tech demands of each employee's home and rerouting call volume and adding new controls. So I think getting a jump on that really helped with the bank scores. Um, some banks that didn't do so hot, regions and TD scores fell the most. Um, and while the scores themselves are still high because they had great customer service scores prior to COVID, it seems like the difference um, between which banks improved customer service during the pandemic kind of came down to size. Uh, spoke with some variant research researchers um, who said that national banks are typically better equipped to handle these like large shifts in, in uh, consumer behavior. And it seems like the regional ones kind of struggled to maintain their, their service offerings, which apparently is an important element um, that gained influence during the pandemic. So pretty interesting to see that some banks were actually able to take advantage of everything that was going on and improve their customer experience. Yeah. Was this for retail banking? Yes. Yeah. That's so, interesting. Yeah. It's kind of a con contrast because we've done stories about how um, the small community regional banks have actually done better with the, uh, on the commercial side with the PPP loans um, <laughs> and how big banks have kind of, uh, failed to step up as much as some of the, the regional and community banks when it comes to uh, processing those loans. Well, so actually, it's interesting to see they're winning this side of the fence. I should make the distinction that this was just looking at the top 15 biggest banks by assets. Oh, okay. so, Even so, so, I mean, some of the, some of those, um, when you get down, yeah, I guess that's a good point, but still, I mean, some of those uh, sort of mid-sized, I guess, regional banks also still processed a lot more PPP volume than, you know, the top three. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like a lot of our reporting has kind of been looking at how smaller regional community banks stack up to the big banks. I know you wrote mm -hmm. your feature this week on um, on that particular topic. Yeah, I, uh, I worked on a feature this week, uh, basically looking at how um, smaller banks are kind of aggressively pursuing standalone brands um, or digital offshoots, whatever you want to call them, mm -hmm. um, especially given how a lot of the bigger banks have had to kind of uh, shut their forays into that down. We had JP Morgan Chase shut down Finn, uh, RBS shuttered Bo in May, I believe, and Wells Fargo was still on a seven-state pilot with Greenhouse. Mm -hmm. So, you know, these brands, uh, these bigger banks are, uh, you know, they're, they're trying this out and they're not, they're kind of realizing that, <laughs> 
maybe it's not the best way for them to upgrade their digital channels by creating a standalone brand. And they're probably just instead folding that tech into their, their main offering. Um, but what's interesting is that a lot of these community banks, these regional banks are still pursuing that strategy and they're kind of getting into it now. Um, there's a host of uh, uh, small banks doing this Midwest bank center with its rising bank brand um, Pacific national bank with facil Senior uh, bank with a thing called Billonero, which is like the savings app that's sort of gamified. Uh, and then trans Pecos bank, which is in uh, Texas has 233 million in assets, which is obviously pretty small. Um, has launched like a, a bank targeting physicians uh, called Bank MD, uh, and that's just like a few of the ones that that our research has come across. You know, and it's these uh, there's a lot of vendors that are sort of realizing that these community banks want to give this a shot, and so they're all sort of launching their like digital bank in a box kind of offerings that'll let you stand up a standalone brand in only 90 days. Uh, FIS has something called Core on Demand. Jack Henry has uh, a, an offering as well. Nimbus has this thing called Smart Launch. Uh, Temenos has a way of doing it. So uh, it's becoming a pretty competitive field and it'll be interesting to see, you know, the community banks think that they have um, an edge because they're a little bit more nimble um, and they don't really have to worry about cannibalizing as much because if you have this smaller geographical footprint, you can launch a standalone brand and gain customers in different markets. So uh, they don't have that risk as much. It'll be interesting to see whether or not they can continue um, you know, continue momentum and see success with this in the long term, since there a lot of these are just kind of getting off the ground now. So, yeah, I'd be curious to know, like, if it really is just a different kind of competitive landscape, or if the bigger banks know something that the smaller banks don't, um, and it's just that the smaller banks are like a year or a few months behind. Yeah, I think that's one of those things that will time's just going to tell. I, I I don't I don't have an answer. Um, I don't know if anyone really does yet. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, um, they the, some of the community banks are focusing more on like specialized things like the Trans-Pecos Bank with um, BankMD. It's a little bit more specialized geared at like physicians specifically and not just like a general sort of PFM money management tool like like Greenhouse and Finn. Mm-hmm. Um, and you also have uh, the Bill and Arrow thing is kind of cool. It's this like you basically enter you get entered into a raffle essentially, depending on how much money you put away into the savings account to win like a thousand dollars or $10,000, depending on if it's the monthly or the quarterly drawing. Um, so it's a little bit, th- these products are a little bit more niche than, you know, just like, uh, uh, like a differently branded <laughs> challenger bank. Yeah. Essentially yeah. it's not just like Wells Fargo rolling out its own version of chime. It's, it's mm-hmm. something a little bit different. So, they're trying something different and you know it's early on and you know the the issue of scaling is a lot different at a small community bank than it is at something like like jp morgan chase which is the biggest bank in the country mm-hmm. um so it it is a completely different business model in, in a way so it's going to be interesting to see uh whether or not it works out for them but in, in ways that it hasn't worked out for the big banks mm-hmm. right and then also our colleague uh Vidic trivetti also wrote a story on upgrade can you Tell us a little bit about that since he's not able to join us here. Yeah, Upgrade is a pretty um, you know, interesting company. They have this credit card variation. It's kind of a weird credit card hybrid with an installment loan aspect to it where uh, your purchases get rolled into a, an installment loan. So instead of like, if you buy something for $1,000, instead of having to pay $1,000 at the end of the month, it automatically gets split, split into a, an installment loan over the course of about it gets 12 or 36 months, however long. Um, and they also do personal loans, but they are 
launching a bank account and they want to get into the challenger bank sort of neobank space. Um, and even despite all the uh, sort of the, the cooling factor, I guess, that's happening with challenger banks um, and the fact that they're losing a lot of their valuation and people are kind of starting to, to think that, you know, maybe there's these, these business models aren't the most sustainable in the long term. Uh, what Upgrade is saying is basically, look, we started with credit products and now we're getting into bank accounts and not the other way around. So uh, we have a monetizing model to begin with. We're not just going to rely on interchange and, you know, whatever. We're going to, we have a loan product to start that has gotten us, gotten us this far. And so we don't have to worry as much about profitability because we started that way. And now we're getting into bank accounts instead of the other way around. Right. It'll be interesting to see if they're able to kind of um, mm -hmm. tap that customer acquisition pipeline, like the other going the other way than all these other yeah things. yeah exactly i mean we see it so often from the other side like starting with a bank account mm -hmm. figuring out how you can like get a credit card in there this is kind of the exact opposite so it'll be interesting the founder is renat laplanche uh who also founded lending club um you know before he had sort of a, a an exit there that was you know he had his problems with the sec obviously um but he clearly knows how to create a business that that um, that can get off the ground. I mean, Lending Club is now publicly traded, so uh, this isn't his first rodeo. This is not. This is not, as they say, a guy with a hoodie in his garage, you know, just creating something. This is someone with some pretty serious business chops. So uh, we'll have to watch and see. Yeah, it'll be super interesting. And, and so I know, yeah, and Bianca, I know uh, <laughs> next week you're working on some some payment stories as well. So uh, yeah. looking ahead, kind of, what can we expect next week? Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like an overall trend in, in our reporting that we're seeing is just this kind of demand or this need for uh, like alternative payment methods. I mean, upgrades a testament to that, but we'll be looking at um, point of sale financing and also uh, looking at Wells Fargo's commercial payment strategy as well. And then, and then from you, what can we see from you next week? Uh, we're going to be looking at some, some different big banks and their mobile strategies uh, and sort of some new things they're getting into and how they, uh, if, for, for some of the banks that are seeing a spike, how do they plan to continue that? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, for some other banks, you know, what, what are they changing about their, their mobile strategy moving forward? So it'll be an interesting week. Awesome. Can't wait. All right. Well, thanks everyone for joining and we will see you next week. And we'll also see you on bankinnovation.net as always. Thanks. Bye everyone.